Hello, stargazers. Welcome to Seventh House Astrology, where I take a planet, a topic, an aspect, or as recently a transit, and investigate it under the lens of Sinistry Astrology, otherwise known as Love or Relationship Astrology. I am your host, Sandra Misek, and I am so glad that you guys have joined me for my podcast today. So before I begin my podcast episode, or before I begin today's episode, I just want to give a shout out to Cade Mitchell, Olivia Renfin, as well, I think it's Jasmine Williams. Um, these three individuals were really very helpful, and I should say actually three listeners really were very helpful when it came to not only their input, uh, when it came to my uh, previous episodes, but also their advice as well. So a huge shout out. I want to say thank you guys. Uh, it really has helped me for this week's episode, or your input has really helped me for this week's episode, and will continue to do so. And Stargazers, um, once again, if you have questions or you have comments or input, please feel free to contact me at either my email address at misek, M-I-S-E-K dot Sandra at gmail.com. Or also at my Instagram page, at Sandra.Misek. And again, that is M-I-S-E-K. Well, today, Stargazers, when I was kind of brainstorming on episodes, I just remembered that um, it's been a little while since we've actually covered a planet without it being a current transit. You know, just covering the planet as is. So I'd like to actually circle back around that for today's episode before I reveal the particular planet. As always, I like to start off and link this episode with a, a good thread or a good question. And again, um, with the answers to this question, there are no right or wrong answers to this one. It's just a way to kind of, you know, tie in the everyday with the archetypal energies of astrology, which usually astrology is, and that's how it kind of informs and enlightens us in our everyday. So when it comes to a relationship, think about a time in which you've had a relationship with someone who you have perceived as being extremely powerful. And Think about that time when the relationship had ended. If this relationship is actually still going, think about this current time in your head and think about like what were your thoughts and your feelings when the relationship began with this particular individual. And again, if it's still going or if it has ended, what were the thoughts that are currently in your thought banks right now? And also, what were the thoughts when it had ended? Um, were the thoughts, did they change? Did they go through a transitory phase? Or are they still the same? The reason why I'm asking this particular question, and in particular of a powerful person, is that powerful people, power, influence, is the very stuff of Pluto our current uh, planet for this week, the planet that we're actually covering this week, our topic this week. 
So when it comes down to generational planets in astrology, this is where I take Stephen Arroyo's account into measure, and he uh, described astrology as having an art and a science to it. Um, I can definitely see the art when it comes down to the generational planets, because a lot of astrologers have a lot of different things to say and a lot of different analogies for the archetypal energies of the planets. And Pluto is not exempt from this. Actually, I find with Pluto, the artistic license really, really comes into play with this planet. Um, uh, so case in point, actually, great example. When I first started learning astrology, um, as much as I love Joanna Martine Wolfolk, and I actually still use her book, The Only Astrology Book You'll Ever Need, uh, when I first started off with astrology, I actually was reading her book at that time. And when I came across Pluto, she kind of got a little bit on the poetic artsy fartsy side when it came to Pluto. And I know at first it kind of confused me, but what she had revealed was, you know, again, another imagine, imagine if you should be a survivor of a nuclear power plant that had just melted down. And, you know, you're taking a look at the landscape and you kind of notice with the landscape that it's desolate, it's barren, no life is growing on it. Uh, if there's anyone who might have been in a shelter with you, they're the only survivors along with you. There are no people around. And one thing that she had mentioned was this is this indeed is the most wonderful way to describe Pluto. So when I first read that, I thought, OK, destructive energies. OK, fall along with you. So Pluto planet destruction. OK, got gotcha there. But then um when it came to Joanna Martin Wolfolk, she went even further to say, but, but when it comes to these nuclear sites, we also have that plant that grows up out of the, the soil at that time, or that tree that wasn't touched by the, the landmass. And that also describes Pluto in its transformative state, which when I actually first read that, I remember thinking, okay, so Pluto in the fifth house, that's basically meaning destructive in relationships, but transforming in relationships. And you can kind of imagine where the confusion would lie. Because again, especially as Westerners, we think of destruction in one way, you know, total and utter destruction in one way, you know, being of the extreme negative, and then transformation as being just the opposite, extremely positive. So not really wrestling with the spiritual truths of opposites at that time just yet, I could see, and also with many who aren't really familiar with two opposites, like two extreme opposites working together, um, it's really confusing at first. And I know I, I was quite confused. I'm not going to lie. I was quite confused for a number of years after, you know, my first couple of years in studying astrology. Um, but one thing that actually I found to be helpful is looking at Pluto with the sign that it rules. So when we look at the sign that it rules, we're looking at Scorpio. 
Now, while um, on the surface with Scorpios, where we might see somebody who's very energetic, who's very goal-oriented, who's very much, you know, into maintaining their dreams and making them reality, while we see that um, side of them, which is actually ruled by Mars, they're ruled by two planets. Um, so while Scorpio is ruled by Mars and we see that Martian energy come into play on the surface, there's also that other side of Scorpio. And normally uh, relatives see this side. Um, normally coworkers, like close coworkers might see this side. Even close friends or even um, close acquaintances would see this side. And that is um, the first thing with Scorpio is that they're known to probe. And the reason being is that they're the whole main archetype or the purpose of Scorpio is to dig up the truth when it comes to life and dig up the truth in people and also in situations. You know, what drives people who have any aspect in Scorpio or any personal plant in Scorpio nuts is that the rest of, rest of us tend to kind of gloss over things and they just, they can't stand that. They have to have the inner machinations and the truth of everything that's going on around them. You know, a good example that I usually see is that, um, say that you're both walking in a really beautiful lush neighborhood while well, you're seeing that the trees are really beautiful, that the neighborhood is really nice, that there are very nice houses, the Scorpio person might be like, yeah, that's all nice and well, but what about that that building that's tagged all to death? Or, you know, all, all of what you're mentioning is nice and well, but what about that homeless person over there who's being neglected? Or worse, what about that neighbor who was out literally crying out on his or her porch and everybody didn't notice them because they were just involved in their own suburban life. And, um, you know, again, it's, it's just a very, you know, with Scorpius, it can be very refreshing to get the truth um, and really to expose the hydras within life. And um, it's just a, obviously a very different perspective than what many of the other signs like to focus on. But I, I point this out um, in regards to Pluto in the regard that when it comes to those probing tendencies, whenever um, that's actually one of the other main energies of Pluto as well, too. You know, wherever Pluto falls in our natal chart, that's where we want to dig a little bit deeper into whatever's being presented. I felt a good example of this is, you know, it's like, say somebody, I'm thinking someone like Erin Brockovich, I'd not be surprised if she actually had this aspect in her chart. But uh, someone who has Pluto in the 10th house, for example, um, would be, you know, where somebody who might have another planet in the 10th house may just be focused on their career and be focused on just maintaining a good outer facade and really make sure that the outer facade of the company is intact and that they just kind of, you know, do their job and maintain the everyday today. Someone who has Pluto in the 10th house is one who they're not content until they know every inner machination that's working inside the company. You know, that actually makes them 
you know, work a little harder. That makes them work a little bit better if they know, like say the truth of the CEO, if the CEO is really, if their heart is really involved in the company. Um, if the company is really truly involved in say, uh, donating their excess food to charity or in actually recycling. And yes, I actually worked at Starbucks a little while back and yes, Starbucks, I'm looking at you. Um, but also when it comes to Pluto in the 10th house and the revelation to, or the, the relevance to Aaron Brockovich in the movie with Aaron Brockovich, she was one where instead of just going about her day, just filing the files that needed to be filed in the um, law firm that she had to go through and just kind of going through a day as basically being, you know, in secretarial or data entry work. She actually was looking at the documents. Well, I think she had to look at the documents in order to file them properly, but she didn't just look at the documents just to file them. She actually started to look at the documents more in depth and seeing this, well, gee, people are getting sick and these people live near PNG, um, you know, plant, the PNG plant. And there, there has to be a correlation in here somewhere. And yet this case is not being dived into or delved into as it should be. And there were, um, of course, you know, as we see in the movie, she brings it to her attention of her boss, but my only point to Aaron Brockovich is that, you know, having Pluto in the 10th house, again, she's getting a little more involved in the company. So like holding the law firm accountable for actually representing all cases, no matter the size, the scope and the vicissitudes of it. And also, you know, she's holding her boss, her employer accountable and the company accountable, the law firm accountable. But then, of course, as we see in this wonderful movie from the 2000s, that she also, you know, hold or starts to hold the, you know, PNG plant accountable as well and starts to actually go into more in-depth interviews with everyone who has been affected. So in this case, with Pluto being in the 10th house, she would be representative of that in the regard that she probed far more deeply into her job instead of just doing the, you know, so like I said, instead of doing the surface work, she actually probed more deeply and did more, more of her work and actually felt far more rewarded in her work as a result. But any time in which you have Pluto in your natal chart is are always the places where you probe the deepest and you want to drill down to where you're actually getting into the truth of the matter. And you may go a little bit deeper than many people who have other planets in that particular house. But again, it's where we like to drill in and just kind of kind of like maybe go down the rabbit hole is what I'd like to say, or maybe go down um different avenues of investigation, I think would be far better when, when discussing Pluto. So wheeling back around to Scorpio, which Pluto also rules. When we come down to Scorpio, especially when they're at their most insecure and possibly not at their most mature stages in life, one of the other things that we tend to see is that sense of loyalty turning into maybe a sense of control and wielding power as well too. Good example, I actually dated a Scorpio at one point in my life, um, in my late 20s. This guy 
aside, I mean, this guy really wanted complete control over my life. It was, it was pretty evident. Um, I mean, I remembered he got on me about not looking for work the right way at one point. There was another point where he found out, I don't, I don't even remember how he found this out because it was so many years ago, but he found out that I was taking anxiety medication because I have generalized anxiety disorder. And uh, he started to really attack me in a controlling way about how I was taking an anxiety medication, a controlled substance, basically, um, and how my eyes looked funny, how I was acting funny, and really just trying to gaslight me in every way, shape, and form. And then there were just a number of instances where he tried to attack me um, when it came to being out in society. Uh, fortunately for me, I was actually hip and privy to controlling behavior. My mom actually made sure to impart what constitutes controlling behavior ever since I was a young teenager. So for me, it didn't affect me as much. But for many others you know, in dealing with a relationship with a Scorpio, it can just feel like way too much. It's it's almost like they're kind of being boxed in, in a way. Well, the, the other reason why I'm mentioning um, Scorpio's shadow side, so to speak, with the power and control issues is that power, influence, control are the very stuff. Like I'd mentioned um, in our question earlier, that's also the very stuff of Pluto. Wherever Pluto sits in our chart is where we want to control our environment in order to feel safe, in order to feel secure, and also in order to just feel stable inside ourselves. Um, you know, th these are just, these are places that we all have in our natal chart and can't escape it. Um, one way in which power and influence I find is really the most evident is with James McAvoy's chart where he has Pluto in the first house. And I don't know about you, Stargazers, but when I see James McAvoy, what really strikes me more than anything is the guy's presence. Whether he is in a really, you know, whether he's in glass, whether he's in, um, split, whether he is in atonement or becoming Jane, it's pretty evident that this is a very powerful guy. He has, he exudes that power in his aura and he kind of exudes a kind of don't mess with me sort of energy when he just even walks on to a set or when he just walks into a scene. And the same thing is very apparent when he's done interviews in the past as well, too. And um, really, I, I point this out because um, with James McAvoy, he could easily have abused this power in using this influence that he, he probably is pretty hip and, and pretty very privy to the fact that he has a lot of power and a lot of influence. And he's probably used that in his life to kind of intimidate, maybe push aside a lot of adversaries. And I wouldn't be surprised also with Pluto being in the first house, also close to his ascendant, if he's actually used power mongering tactics outside of himself, um, such as like playing head games, being a little manipulative, possibly actually to, um, kind of giving that overall facade of don't mess with me or you'll be sorry. And um, again, that's a good example of how uh, Pluto, again, can be conveyed in the chart. Again, it's definitely power, influence, wielding control, 
over circumstances for Mr. McAvoy's wielding um, control over his surroundings um, and over, you know, individual people as well, too. Um, He might be inclined to intimidate people to get them away from him or might be inclined to intimidate people in order to get what he wants as well, too. Um, But wherever Pluto falls in the natal chart, whichever house it falls under, is also indicative of how we seek for power and control for security purposes. Well, um, which leads to my next uh, third point with Scorpio that I usually see that relates to Pluto very well. And that is a lot of Scorpios usually seek to transform themselves inside to outside. So kind of like what Druids would say. From within, so without, you know, the inner, the alchemy that really exists within, you know, just within life is really within inside of us. Therefore, we need to change our insides in order to change our outsides. And a lot of people who have aspects or a lot of personal planets or just planets in general in Scorpio seem to also wonder why the rest of the other signs are not hip to this and hence not solving their and resolving their own problems, especially in the internal realm. The other caveat to this transformation is that it's very deep. Like a lot of Scorpios are not afraid to like go really deep and kind of soul search inside themselves in order to be their most glorious selves possible. And that is also, even though it seems like a contradiction of terms, that is also the influence of Pluto in our natal charts as well too. Pluto in our natal charts represents, um, really the transformations that happen on our most deepest innermost level. Now, I know what you guys are thinking. You're probably thinking like, what? First off, there's power and, you know, there's probing and power, but then there's transformation. How can that be? How can these two opposites exist? Well, I think the the one thing that kind of binds the two opposites together is the fact that when we do wield power and complete control and influence over people, over our environments and over people, sometimes we act on very unsavory behavior that we're not really proud of. You know, sometimes we need to exert power control, you know, for necessary survival purposes, other times we're kind of not, you know, we kind of feel like I could have handled this situation better. I could have handled it differently. And with that said, that's where the transformation part comes into key. In order to resolve any sort of power mongering capabilities or any power mongering sort of tendencies in our chart, we have to actually dive deep within the very depths of our soul and really have to dive deep within inside ourselves to bring about that transformation. And, you know, in that process, it can actually bring up a lot of deep, very deep inner issues that might've occurred in childhood or that might've occurred in young adulthood as well too. It's just those issues that have been tamped down, um, but actually uncovering them and kind of working with them actively kind of helps us to begin that transformation and really kind of begin our journey in being our best selves possible. So it kind of goes without saying wherever Pluto sits in our charts are usually where we also experience deep transformation, deep change, and also where we need the areas that we need to work on when it comes to that deep transformation. 
Um, case in point, when I've had to work with the fact that my natal Pluto has been in opposition to our current Mars transit being in Aries, um, there have been a lot of situations where I've felt like I've needed to put people down verbally and kind of whittle them away until they're stripped of their power. And again, with Pluto being in my third house, it's verbally. Um, in uncovering the fact, you know, uncovering why I might feel threatened or why I might feel that way, I've actually uncovered a lot of different traumas. One being from uh, my last relationship, which was actually an abusive relationship from when I was 29 years old. And um, it was kind of revealing toward, to me um, in this time period. Um, mainly just because, again, I thought that these issues had been resolved and really they haven't been. And really just um, kind of going through this process, it's kind of helping me to transform my stance, especially when it comes to men, especially when it comes to how they talk, and especially when it comes to their stance and how to handle that constructively as well. When I have taken a look at Rachel Stewart Haas as well, author of Mercury in Retrograde, she had noted that Pluto is also that planet of deep-rooted change, also in getting in touch with the depths of our soul, you know, hence that transformational part. She also mentioned that when it comes to Pluto transit or with, with Pluto being in your natal chart, that can lead to uh, deep therapy of our own, and mainly because with Pluto, it's always dealing with the very deep stuff. It's not shallow stuff that comes out when it um, comes down to transformation. It's that you know deep inner recesses of our soul that we're actually afraid to touch or that we don't like to touch that really tends to affect us. That's where we have to kind of tap into to transform and to um, really change our ways within our chart. So stargazers, I know what you're probably thinking. It's like, wow, this is really interesting information on Pluto when it comes to, you know, just the general natal chart. But what about synastry? What about relationships? And I'm so glad you asked. Well, um, Stargazer, I actually did something a little different this week. I actually took a look at what I have been noticing um, in the um, synastry charts when it comes to Pluto hitting in certain areas, as well as I've mixed it in with Jewel from Truth and Aspect Astrology. If you've not checked out her YouTube channel, uh, really, please do. Um, she actually is very informative. And she takes a lot of really interesting, informative insights in Sinistry Astrology. And actually, um, that is really the whole of her YouTube channel. And it's uh, really fascinating, very much like Pam Gregory. I kind of read up there with Pam Gregory. Um, definitely check it out. But also, I, of course, I mix in with the great, the late and the great John Townley as well, too, and his insights into Pluto. So, since we're talking about plumbing into the inner depths, let's go ahead and get right into it. So what I've noticed when it comes to um, relationships and in the synastry chart is that when Pluto hits, so whenever Pluto is hitting either a personal planet, so the sun, the moon, Mercury, Venus, or Mars, or when it's squared that planet, or in any way in a very adverse aspect, as we say in astrology, to that planet, 
One thing that I usually see um, is that there's usually an extreme sexual attraction, but it's as much as it kind of sounds like a little bit of a repeat of the Mars episodes that I've been doing. It's very unlike Mars. It's actually even trickier than Mars when it comes to this sexual attraction. When it comes to sexual attraction, it's very subtle. And again, as I've mentioned, you know, how Pluto is just like about all about plumbing the depths to our souls or plumbing the depths of everything. It's that sexual attraction is like that layer in the relationship that's really not seen by the naked eye at first. A good example, when it came to my um, relationship or not relationship, but my crush with Mr. BB, um, one thing that I had noticed when I was first attracted to him was that oh, wow, you know, he's, you know, especially on major crimes and on The Closer. Wow, this guy's a really awesome actor. He's really interesting. And wow, he's made a complete despicable character, you know, basically a serial killer rapist. You know, he's he's made this ca- character very believable and very human, you know, so that, that takes a lot of great acting chops. And also when I t- took a look at his filmography, it's like, oh, wow, he also has a lot of different, different films and different television shows under his belt. So I just thought, okay, maybe my attraction to him here is that obviously he's a good actor and, you know, obviously the, the, the good, his good looks were just, just to help. However, a year after having this crush and having some distance on the crush kind of revealed that Mr. BB indeed is actually a very um, sexual guy and the sexuality again was very subtle. Um, when rewatching the episode that I discovered him in, I remembered looking at his lips and remembered that they were deliberately the sensuality of his lips were definitely very much accentuated in the episode. Um, his stance, you know, his wonderful physique, which is, you know, six, three, I believe, um, is how tall he is. That was really well, you know, he made sure to well define that within each shot. Uh, his gaze was very penetrating yet very soulful. I mean, again, little subtle sexual hints in there. And, um, I, I just felt like this was a great example of, Pluto, um, that Plutonian sort of aspect. And actually, it turns out in his chart, you know, if I were to compare my chart to his chart, his Pluto's aspect is actually right outside my Mercury aspect, like right in conjunction. So it would make sense that I would be blind to all these things at first, only to see them on second viewing. And again, too, he wasn't so helpful in making these little sexual innuendos very subtle as well, too. But um, really what comes of it is that there's a sudden sexuality that's like a, a like kind of like an inner magnetism that draws both people together as well, too. Um, Jewel mentions it's like a moth to the flame. The moth usually just sees the flame that's very beautiful. It's very warm. It's very glistening. Little does it realize that it can get burned or little does it realize that's going to go up in flames when it flies right into the flame as well, too. And Townley also adds sexuality is also heightened to mystical proportions and it can be very revelatory. 
um, especially the sexual attraction can be very revelatory as to, again, not only how subtle, but also how we might respond to different forms of sexuality and different, different ways in which it's displayed um, to us. The second thing that I usually notice as well, too, um, so talking about the planet of power, usually Pluto indicates wherever somebody is the most powerful in the chart. So usually the spouse that is the most powerful in the chart. You know, usually the Pluto person wields a lot of, they either wield a lot of influence you know, they don't necessarily have to be a CEO or an executive of a company in order to wield that influence. Sometimes they just seem to be very powerful, like a very powerful person. Um, and usually the personal planet person sees them as being everything that is. Like they, they see this person as kind of like being their their whole entire world, so to speak, and hence how that how that power and that influence can really manifest. I think it's important to note with Pluto, especially within relationships, that when Pluto hits a particular area in our natal charts, it kind of magnifies other influences going on with the other planets. Um, I think that it's very fair to say that when it comes to synastry, the influence um, of that individual and the perception of that individual is also magnified to where the Pluto person looks very magnanimous and, you know, really very, um, very grand, a little bit grander than they actually are in, in reality. The best example that I can really give you will have to lead into our sample chart this week, Stargazers, and that is between Bella Swan and Edward Cullen from the Twilight books, as well as the Twilight movies. So all you Twihards out there, you guys may either love me this week for featuring their charts, or you might hate me for what I will have to present here when it comes to particularly those guys who are all about Team Edward. Uh, you might not like me after this episode. I'm just, I'll, I'll just admit to it, but you know, at, at least I just, just, I just ask that please hear me out. Um, I, you know, there are some valid points when it comes to both Bella and Edward's sinister chart. So please just hear me out here. Um, and like I said, I, I can understand, but you know, again, um, Sinistry Astrology real, reveals a lot about these two individuals, the two fictional characters relationship. But when we talk about Pluto being like that kind of that planet that causes one person to be more powerful in the relationship over the other, well, with um, with Bella's Pluto placement, one thing that I, I found to be interesting and what I noticed was that her Pluto placement in her chart um, really doesn't hit any of Edward's planets in his chart. And I find that that's, that's not an accident all the way around. It's And in the novel, we kind of see that that's, that kind of shapes up. She doesn't, it doesn't seem like she has a ton of power or a ton of influence over Edward. What really strikes me more than anything, what's really kind of interesting is that Edward's Pluto placement is actually conjunct Bella's moon placement. So it's very close to her moon placement. 
And it would make sense that he is actually the one who carries the power in the relationship in the Twilight franchise, you know, in the regard that when it comes down to our moon placement, our moon signs are all about the emotional inner world, our soul world, just everything that pertains to us inside. And to have someone who has their Pluto placement in conjunction or kind of floating outside our moon, um, our moon's position, that's kind of where we tend to, we might see that person as being really magnificent and being all powerful. And that that's obviously the same case with Bella, even though I do have to point out that Edward, he doesn't hold a job. He's how many years old as a vampire and he's still in high school. And um, above all, you know, I mean, he doesn't have like a real prominent, powerful eminence, except that he's a vampire. Um, but, you know, we don't, in actuality, I, I just don't see him as being all that powerful. But in Bella's world and in, in her world, since it's affecting a very personal planet for her, he is everything. He's like her whole world and, and then some. And that's definitely described in the books and definitely very evident also in the movies. Now, the other side of Pluto when it comes to synastry is that with the Pluto person can also exert a lot of influence and a lot of power. Um, Jewel and Truth and Aspect Astrology is kind of alliterated to Pluto, um, God of the Underworld, and when he had kidnapped, I think it's Serpina, that's the Roman version of the story, or we also know as Hades and Persephone, you know, when he kidnapped Persephone against her will and basically tried to really stifle all thought, stifle her, you know, independence, stifle everything from her when he took her down to the underworld. Um, and I thought it was a great analogy because sometimes um, the Pluto person in a relationship can, if, especially if they're not really mature or if the relationship kind of gets way underway sometimes and gets a little, little passionate, especially with the heightened sexuality, this person can kind of get really controlling. And especially, again, if we have a dynamic like with Edward and Bella where Edward's Pluto placement is floating around outside her moon's placement, you know, so basically his Pluto placement from his chart, his nail chart, is floating around Bella's natal moon and any sort of other personal planets. Again, that person, the Pluto person, usually tends to think that they need to protect the personal planet person. And really, it starts to get into a situation where they're boxing that person in. They're kind of limiting who they interact with. They're kind of limiting their life experience and just kind of whittling, like slowly whittling away their confidence to where that person, the personal planet person might just have nothing else but kind of like an outer shell of themselves. And usually the personal planet person feels that way as well too. Getting back to our example with Edward and Bella, so with Edward, we see this complex drive out throughout the books as well as in the movies. You know, whenever Bella goes on her own adventures, for example, he is very quick to tell her how that is wrong. And he's very quick to even like, in some cases, like literally scold her as though she's a little child. 
when supposedly she's supposed to be the same age as he was when he turned into a vampire. But yeah, he scolds her like she's like a five-year-old girl um, for doing certain things. There are also other times where she states something like in the, the first book, for instance, she and also the first movie. Uh, Bella kind of countered Edward. It's like, hey, you know, I realized you saved me from a car that was coming my way. And she wanted to do so in order to say thank you. But here's the first thing that Edward, I think, started to act on when it came to power and control was to literally gaslight her when it came to the whole experience. You know, right when she was about ready to say thank you, here he was stating things like, oh, honey, you bumped your head. You're being delusional. Or, oh, darling, a lot of stuff was happening. I think you got your facts confused. This is also very typical of, um, you know, Pluto people, in, like I said, in, the guard, in that regard of boxing that person in. I think what was also pretty evident with Edward um, – with the power and the control too, is that he feels like he needs to protect Bella and be that knight in shining armor. You know, he feels like he's being the knight in shining armor, mainly because his deep childhood issues were that everybody around him was dying. And particularly, um, you know, when he was a, a young child, before he was turned into a vampire, his mother died in front of him due to a plague that was occurring. And so in order to not lose the one he loves, you know, at Bella, he feels like he needs to be overly protective of her. What comes across, though, is that he's kind of, you kind of see with Bella as we advance along within the relationship all the way up to Breaking Dawn Part 2, is that she's slowly kind of being whittled down to where she's always feeling unsure of herself or where she's just kind of feel where her power gets very weakened in the relationship. It's almost as though in the, in the other books where she just starts to lose her voice and starts to lose her sense of choice and everything else that comes in between, which like I said, again, makes sense having her moon floating or having, you know, Edward's Pluto placement floating outside her moon placement. And um, that can happen with um, an inner planet person in a Pluto relationship where they just feel like they have to sell out. They have to find ways to make the Pluto person happy. They have to find ways to kind of, you know, placate the Pluto person because you just, again, there's also a situation of, you know, not only verbal abuse, as we see with Edward, there's also physical situations that occur where he's trying to intimidate Bella, um, particularly in the first book. Um, there are situations where he just kind of gets a really violent temper that scares Bella a little bit and yet also intrigues her by the same token, which, by the way, I just don't understand no matter how you phrase it. But um, usually this is very also indicative in a Pluto relationship in the regard that the personal planet person doesn't want to offend um, the Pluto planet person. And sometimes that person can also feel like they can't really escape the relationship because the Pluto planet person might be very key and influential in their life, as Bella obviously feels with Edward. So, Stargazers, I hope that was clear to you with the linkages between Pluto and Edward and Bella's chart. Please let me know. 
Um, definitely I, either way around, please let me know. But um, the other conclusion that I come to when it comes to Pluto and what I've noticed in synastry charts, and I don't think I'm the only one who notices this here, is that Pluto indicates wherever there are stoppages or hurdles in the chart. And I think with Jewel and John Townley, they kind of mentioned two things that actually help to reiterate that. With Jewel, she mentions that there's a lot of obviously some very deep issues inside the Pluto person that really it would behoove to address in the relationship. And actually, the only person who can address those issues and really work on those issues is the Pluto person themselves. Um, and usually it's not uncommon. Like I mentioned with Edward, he had some stoppages or hurdles in his relationship to Bella in the regard that he saw a lot of people die at a very young age. So he was very afraid to lose Bella and lose her to death as well too. Especially in the Twilight books, it seems like she has all these really major calamities that just like come out at, at her out of nowhere. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's very... Yeah, like I said, she's she's kind of like a, you know a walking magnet for these situations. But um, what's really true, and I really feel like um, Jewel kind of hit on the head here, was um, that really the more that this Pluto person can actually deal with these issues, the more that they can kind of let the other person, the um, outer planet person, kind of live. And John Townley also adds to that. He said, you know, profound transform, um, a profoundly transformative relationship and the lesson in this relationship is really to relinquish control and let things take its own course. Really all in essence to let that personal planet person just kind of be, you know, with Edward, it, you know, when he kind of deals with, hey, you know, yes, I saw a lot of death and suffering. Yes, it was disturbing, but you know, that was how many years ago, you know, during a major plague, which we didn't have resources for so many years ago, so many eons ago, you know, here's the common age, you know, of course, as a vampire, he should kind of not realize that, you know, in the common age, we've advanced over time. And especially with Bella, it, you know, Bella has a very feisty spirit of her own. You know, in her chart, she has um, Mars as well as Mercury near her um, sun's placement. With Mars being near her sun's placement, she's very feisty and independent and very spirited, also very adventurous. And I mean, if Edward could just kind of loosen the grip a little bit and let her to her own adventures, lead her own life, I think the relationship could be actually far more interesting and far more dynamic in the regard that here's Bella. She's able to breathe. She's able to grow as a character. And Edward kind of, you know, he's there when he's needed sort of thing. And I feel like that's that's definitely an atypical theme with a Pluto sort of relationship is just let the other person be. You know, don't try to control who they're, you know, interacting with. Don't try to control their, their life experiences. Just, just let them be. They will, they will come to what they come to. They will grow of their own accord. They will learn their life's lessons. Um, really for the Pluto person, the best thing that they can do is just be there for their partner 
And, you know, also knowing those deep insights, you know, when they're there for their partner and their partner's mentioning all these things, you can always, you know, share those deep insights from life's experiences with that person, but let that person discover and let that person kind of sift through that all of their own as well. So stargazers, here comes the part where we also ask, so what are the lessons learned? What did we learn um, from Pluto? Well, first and foremost, it is actually one of the heaviest relationships that you'll ever endeavor if you are involved with somebody who has, you know, so kind of like with Edward and Bella, if um, your partner's Pluto placement is outside one of your personal planets, so again, that's the sun, moon, Mercury, Venus, or Mars. You're definitely going to have a very deep and very heavy relationship. Um, Pluto relationships are not very easy and not for the faint of heart. Um, but one uh, thing that I, I have learned and what I usually advise within these sort of relationships. So if I were to sit down with either El Edward or Bella um, on the situation, I'd make sure to emphasize with Bella since she has her moon floating outside of Edward's Pluto placement. I'd mentioned to her that she really needs to make sure that she is strong on her own. You know, that she's not overly reliant on Edward because obviously he is not overly reliant. You know, he might be obsessive over his grip and his control over her, but you know, really he doesn't there's really no sense of love except for the the love of control in the relationship which i you know again i'm going to argue this is where it's an unhealthy relationship in my view um but one thing i would advocate to her is you know really make sure that you have a backbone and if you don't you know make sure that your own personality is intact and if you don't have that Again, start off with what are your interests in life? If you don't have any interests, cultivate interests and, um, you know, just interests that are of your own in life. Um, cultivate your own life and make sure that you have a very rich and full life outside the relationship. And also minimize the time that you spend with your partner. Um, get away from his or her grip. Also notice, too, that you have power in the relationship, too. You know, if this person is, like, boxing you in the relationship, you know, you have every right to say, excuse me, I can see whomever I want, or excuse me, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, thank you very much. And, you know, just note that you have power in this relationship and that also you Cultivate that backbone is what I usually recommend to the personal planet person. For those who have the Pluto placement, so if I were to um, sit down with Edward, I would say iron out all past problems because they're following you into this relationship. You know, again, as I've mentioned earlier with Edward, you know, the fact that he's afraid that that Bella, the one who, who he loves, will die from him. Well, you know, it is modern times. It is not when you grew up way back when. You need to start noticing that there are advances. You also need to start noticing how Bella can fend for herself, um, you know, and also start noticing when it's helpful to help her, help her and when it might not be so helpful. 
And maybe also anytime that you feel like you want to say something to her and that something is rather nasty, refrain, you know, respect her boundaries. And I advise the same, you know, again, I'm, I'm advised, you know, I'm pretending like I'm advising two fictional characters, but I advise the same thing when it comes to anyone involved in a Pluto sort of relationship. It's like, you know, again, that Pluto person work on those issues that are deep in childhood, iron those guys out because it's, it's going to ruin your relationship in the end. Also, I would say to that Pluto person, power and control is not everything. And that, that personal plant person, I mean, they might feel like they have to be in the relationship. They have to change for you for a certain time, but that facade and that act is going to wear down and it's going to wear thin. And before they know it, they're going to also start to realize their life is very much like a marionette. They're starting to be controlled and they're not going to like you when they start to notice that you've been controlling them this whole entire time. So relax the grip on the relationship and also start relaxing that, that grip by looking at deep issues as well too. You know, again, transforming from within, therefore from without. And, um, and like I said, to the personal plant person, definitely make sure that when you get involved with somebody who has that Pluto placement outside your personal planets, make sure you have a good backbone and a good steady grounded sense of who you are um, in the relationship. The other things that I think, um, I think John Townley mentioned this very well. And uh, he again alluded to Pluto as in the Roman God and also Hades, the Greco uh, equivalent, the Greek equivalent of uh, Pluto. But he alluded to, you know, how both gods were the god of death as well as the underworld and how we as human beings tend to evade death as much as possible, the inevitable. And in relationships, he mentioned, you know, again, a good growth situation in a Pluto relationship is to recognize the inevitable is going to happen, that, you know, relationships are going to take its course in its own due time and you can't just you know, keep an iron fist and an iron grip on how you want it to be um, for all eternity, it's going to grow. You know, things are going to disintegrate. Things that worked before will not work anymore. Um, you know, again, a relationship is an ever-evolving organism in and of itself, and it always grows. It always expands in its own capacity, in its own right. And to release that grip is to open yourself to more profound insights that your relationship will bring to you. And some of those insights will be in how your partner gets to grow, but also some of those other insights could be in how you get to grow as well too in, in the relationship. That is if you have the Pluto position in the relationship. But above all, like I mentioned earlier, a heavy relationship, not for the faint of heart, uh, usually with Pluto relationships, um, you, if they get a little bit too unhealthy, they usually disintegrate. Um, but like I said, again, if you follow the above tips and if you see yourself being involved in the Pluto relationship, you you kind of, kind of follow the above tips, whether you're the personal uh, planet person or the Pluto person, you know, you, you can easily save something that can be irreparably, uh, irreparably damaged. Try saying that 10 times fast. <laughs> 
But anyway, stargazers, this is the episode on Pluto. Pluto in Sinistry, I hope that it was very informative for you and also very um, clear, very concise, especially with that uh, sample chart and where it was placed. Above all, stargazers, do not be afraid to look up at the stars tonight. Um, I know we just celebrated a new moon this week. So definitely seeing that new moon evolving in the sky will be a wonderful sight. But above all, too, when it comes to the stars, we see our evolution or we see our beginnings when it comes to astrology. And also above all, stargazers, especially if you're in the Denver, Colorado area with the heat coming up as it is, be well, be safe. And especially on this 4th of July weekend, be safe, be well. Happy 4th of July to everybody. And until, you know, between this week and next week, be well. And I will see you for next week's episode.